previously on Two Star Two Trek. So his quarters just keeps getting bigger while everybody else like just has their regular size. You've gotta have room for those cars, you know? I gotta gotta store those extra shuttles and torpedoes and stuff. That's where they that's where they stick. That's where they've been getting their torpedoes. Paris has been building them in his torpedo room. (laughs) This is the Delta Flyers room. Greetings, friends and fellow Trekkies. Welcome to this sleep-deprived episode of Two Star Two Trek. Let's do this. We are in the other Alpha Quadrant of a different galaxy, also known as the Delta Quadrant. (laughs) The Alpha Quadrant from another mother, the Delta Quadrant. Oh, it's going to be a good one. We are in Voyager. Go ahead. Yeah, I didn't realize that we were all going to come up with amazing quips to name fluid space in the different quadrants, but it's so difficult to keep track of where we are exactly. Borg space, fluid space, delta quadrant, alpha quadrant. I don't give a fuck. Let's get this done. (laughs) Fantastic. We are talking about the two-parter. It's Scorpion. It ended season three and started season four, and most importantly were the 68th and 69th nice episodes of Voyager. (laughs) Also, the introduction of another very nice, uh, the introduction to 7 to 9. Yeah, nice. But we'll get to that in a bit. We are joined by two fabulous co-hosts and guests tonight. We have both Forrest and Michael. Michael, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well, but I am confused. Are we co-hosts or guests or both? Which one of us is the co-host? Which one of us is the guest? We have no idea. Well, anymore. one of you is the scorpion and one of you is the toad. Uh, uh-huh. At the end, we no, will No, in crown. this episode, it was the scorpion and the fox. Because oh. Jakote doesn't know his own story. Jesus Christ, Jakote. Yeah. We're a fox this time. Well, actually, so so I guess Deep Space Nine makes a cameo because Cisco is also a fox. Oh. Yes. Yeah, he is. We are getting off to a great start. Forrest, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing awesome. Thank you very much. I want to start off with a bang with this. Is this the shortest opener in Star Trek history? Like this opener. I was actually going to say, yes. Yeah. I think so, right? This pre. Where it was just like, y'all. Right. The Borg, though. This pre credit <laughs> scene. And I. Cue theme music. I remember this. Like, this is one of the first episodes we've done that i remember like seeing live you know for the first time on upn and i just remember like you know you knew the borg were coming we've had a couple of borg episodes it's the season finale you know the borg are going to be there and just being like aghast that the opening pre pre credits teaser is like 15 seconds of the borg just getting rocked it's awesome. <laughs> it's great. And it's like, it's literally just two ships and boom, boom. And like, even, I think we've seen this episode probably three times, you know, just in oh, the past couple of years. And even now, like watching it, like you expect the cold open to be a little longer. Every time you go, Whoa! And you're like, <laughs> wait, what's going on? Like boards are exploding. And then you get, you know, Jane the fabulous, not the one doing it. you get the fabulous opening credits that are unfortunately have no lyrics, so we cannot, you know, sing it to you. We'll get there, though. Excuse Don't worry. Me, there, there are lyrics in your heart. We'll get if there. you have faith of the heart. Yeah, we'll get there. We've also been watching Enterprise, so we're a little loopy. And then we are introduced to Leonardo da Vinci on the holodeck. I'm, I'm sorry. Which... I'm sorry. Don't you mean Gimli? 
very much so. Gimli Da Vinci? <laughs> His long-lost cousin? I mean, dwarves are well-known for crafting items and mechanical devices. True. It's, it's not a stretch. It's kind of cool. It's not that far. I like it. It's a, it's a solid cameo. There's some weird sexual tension between Lara Da Vinci and Janeway, though. I'm kind of into it. I'm here for that May-December romance. <laughs> so there's something with Kate Mulgrew, though. There's weird sexual tension between her and every other character in the entire fucking show. She's doing a lot of work, and I appreciate every moment. <laughs> it's all her eyebrows and her ridiculous hair bun that mm-hmm. I love. Right? I wish she would have showed up in the um, DS9 mirror universe, like the weird sexually charged mirror universe. Because I feel like she's got an important role there. Maybe she shows up in the other episode that we're not allowed to show on cable TV. Uh, that's oh, that's fair. Yes. What if what if her mirror episode, what if Janeway's, like, mirror counterpart was literally just her character from Captain Proton? That would be incredible. Like, that's it. The, like, yeah. it doesn't have to be... It doesn't have to be anybody else, right? It doesn't have to be like, oh, this is Janeway, but, like, she's soft. I mean, yeah, Queen Arachnia right? was already, like, sexually formative, but, like, what if it was, like, the mirror of Queen Arachnia? And she was like, you know how, like, in, in the Huntsman colon Winter's War, where there's, <laughs> you know, Charlize Theron, and then there's the other ice princess who, like, falls apart easily and her, her, birds are, her bones are hollow like a bird? Yes. It would be like that. Interesting. Not where I, I was just want to clarify. I have no idea. That, that was the clearest and most precise thing I've heard all night. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So yeah, uh, Janeway is definitely fucking that hologram. I think we can all agree. Maybe. And I mean, like, who wouldn't? It's Leonardo da Vinci. You but know, but she only needs one small workbench to do all of this. Just a so corner, a some supply. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We know what that means. That's right. Well, and like, you know, sexual innuendo aside, like, I think the holodeck is just fascinating that they always, like, bring in all of these, like, extra characters from, like, history. And, like, I think the holodeck works better than, like, you know, I don't know, time traveling back to the past and running into Mark Twain. Well, on Voyager in particular, they're so starved for for human contact that isn't, um, you know, the other crew members. And so, you know, you can encounter all these people on these foreign planets, but, like, you can actually dip back into something that feels familiar on the holodecks. I mean, they they use it to actually pretty good effect on Voyager as compared to even, you know, some of the sillier DS9 holodeck episodes. I mean, there's a point to it that feels feels like it means something a little more. Yeah, and even even the better DS9 holodeck episodes are later in DS9 when I feel like they're kind of like, hey... Voyager's doing this cool stuff with holograms. Maybe we should try right. some of that too. So, I yeah, I like this set piece. This is this is obviously one of the one of the good uh, um, or one of the better holodeck uh, you know places they come back to. It'll it'll show up again a few times uh, in Voyager, and it's it's just it's just kind of nice and fun. It's a little bit uh a little bit goofy is kind of a uh a concept for like Janeway's inner turmoil but but it works out I think it works out really well yeah it's got a really nice energy to it it's a very quaint kind of you can tell he spent a lot of care and attention trying to make this place look like a messy workshop and I really do appreciate the aesthetic value of everything in the in the set if you really like the leonardo da vinci cameo here in voyager he does show up for a couple episodes in lower decks where he goes skeet shooting um same energy same energy 
we love it. <laughs> exact same. Lots of sexual tension. <laughs> right, right. So the other thing that I think is really cool with Da Vinci here is the sort of preamble of setting up human innovation and human individuality. What can humans invent? What can we create that doesn't rely on our ability to do what the Borg are doing? How can we use our individuality to surpass and overcome ourselves? Well, and that's something that comes up, you know, later in the episode, you know, when Tuvok and Janeway go over to the Borg ship and the Borg are just like, talking is dumb. We're going to like hook you guys into our network. And, like, that's their argument. Their argument is, no, we are better as individuals. Yeah. I know we're jumping, like, super far ahead. but Yeah, I mean, the, the capacity for humans to solve problems and to, to be clever, I think, is what it really comes back to. Yeah. It's a nice underlying theme that we get when the crew of Voyager figures out they have to traverse through a ton of Borg space. And then they just keep finding wreckage of Borg ships. And, like, holy crap, somebody's, like, blowing up the Borg and it ain't the Federation. Like, And it's about 50-50 about whether or not they should be concerned about it. The answer is they should be extremely very concerned, concerned about it. If someone is beating up right. the Borg like that, you should be worried. Well, and they even have that conversation of, like, allies? Right. Are these guys going to be our new buddies? Like, Probably how not. is that going to go? <laughs> I just want to point out that it's absolutely fucking ridiculous, though, that Janeway tracks this starship across the entire quadrant of space for two years or some shit at this point, and when they get to Borg space, that's when they go, okay, so, uh, what's the plan? <laughs> like, really? You dipshits didn't think of anything in the last two years? You knew this was coming. Well, and they've had, there right. have been two episodes with explicit Borg contact. So it's not even like in the conceit of the show, they're blindsided. It's like, we know the Borg are coming. They're, they're going to show up. And now it's like, okay, everyone working on their nanoprobes? Everyone rotating the phaser frequencies? We doing all our Borg stuff? So <laughs> it's like, that was my immediate thought when Voyager started was, all right we're going to get to, you know, do some Borg stuff. Yeah. And we definitely get a lot of Borg stuff, so it's I'm not necessarily complaining. But, you know, they, they definitely could have... They, they could have done some, some planning. They could have done some prep. You'd think that at least one other alien species that's native to this area would have some idea how to deal with the Borg. Maybe they could have done some scouting. Right. <laughs> well, and another thing that I find really interesting with, you know oh, we're in quote-unquote Borg space, is that, like, they don't, like, really have a map. I always felt like this is something that, like, I think Voyager is, like, the perfect blend of TNG and TOS, right? It's got, like, a little bit of both. It's got, like, the fancy new There's some of the exploratory nature to it because they have, like, astrometrics, and they really are trying to still do a science while they're making their way home. Right. So that at least, like... Knowing that most of these people, you know, theoretically are going to spend the rest of their lives doing this, that at least their lives spent this way can have value, you know, for historical purposes. Right. But the thing is, is like, I mean, do, do, do they stop at the NPC and just right. be like, I want to buy the map for, you know, 600 gold plus latinum. <laughs> like, how, how do they know, like, oh, this is Borg space. Is there like a giant sign that says, you know, welcome to Borg welcome country? To Borg like. <laughs> You I will just, be assimilated. I don't get it. <laughs> right. So, Air country, yeah, in early 
Yeah, and early in the show, they spent a lot of time on this because Neelix's whole thing was like, oh, I'm going to help scout for you guys. I know this area of space, so I can help get you through it. But I think this episode, they were like, you know how we know we're in Borg space? Because there's fucking Borg everywhere. <laughs> uh, so you, uh, if you look out the starboard side uh, port, uh, <laughs> windows, you'll see Borg. And if you look at the port side windows, you'll also see Borg. It's And that's one of, and that's one of the places where, you know, Neelix is the guy and there is a, a nice episode about Neelix like, well, I've never been past that nebula. Guess I'm useless now. And kind of the, no way, Neelix, yeah. you're our friend, that kind of thing. Um, it would be nice if they had like actually incorporate that a little bit more logically, but they're they're still like, nope, Tom, just point it straight home. Just just straight, just, just right at it. And, you know, I'm guessing, you know, there must be some kind of, and Janeway's looking through some, uh, classified personal logs at some point. So there's got to be some, like, rough Federation map of the Delta Quadrant from long-range probes or whatever uh, that gives them some idea of what's going on. But it feels more like a guess than anything else, you know, kind of, well, when will we know we're in Borg space? Well, you'll be assimilated. Oh, of course. Now I know. <laughs> Well, so maybe what it was actually is they were looking at like a like a space radar map of the area, and they were like, "Hey, come look at this. There's all these weird geometric shapes, <laughs> just circles and squares and circles and squares. Oh, fuck! It's the Borg. It's got to be the Borg, <laughs> right? That's how they did it. Right? Yeah. It's just I don't know. I think like the whole conceit, like it, it kind of I don't want to say like lessens the feel of Voyager. But, like, you know, when you have, like, clearly defined, you know, I'm using air quotes here, borders, you know, back in the Alpha Quadrant where, you know, this is clear. This is Romulan space. This is Klingon space. This is Federation space. Part of, I think, the charm of Voyager is that they're flying blind. They don't know. And, really, like, vaguely, maybe. This yeah. This is a thing. Yeah. Probably at some point. <laughs> So, I don't know. That's just, like, one minor, like, silly quip I have about this episode. It does also point out, though, that Tom Paris's job is fucking stupid. You guys really <laughs> could just chart a path and then set it on autopilot. You know where the fuck you're going. Right. Well, it's, it's going to take Seven of Nine in the Astrometrics Lab, which is under construction here. Uh, or will soon be under construction to debut. And like the first thing Seven does when the Astrometrics uh, lab goes online, she's like, and I figured out a fastest route home because Tom's an idiot. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Tom, you've actually been taking us away from the Alpha Quadrant the entire time. <laughs> what? That actually wouldn't surprise me at all if that's what it turned out Tom Paris was doing. Yeah, and she would just be like, oh, you took a left here? You dumbass. Like, well, he's like, but my dad's back there. <laughs> right. There's a racetrack that I could take the Delta Flyer out on. Please, Janeway, please. Ugh, Tom Paris sucks. Shut the fuck up, Tom Paris, and get back in your goddamn chair. <laughs> oh... We are unofficially calling uh, this section of the podcast the We Hate Tom Paris Power Hour. <laughs> well, Tom, so Tom does... I'm glad everybody's on that page. What does Tom do in this episode? I don't even know. He, he flies the ship. He takes the bridge for a, a hot second. And 
Yeah, that's he's he briefly looks concerned. He, yes, he looks pretty concerned when the when the cubes all fly over them. And the, actually, that is a really nice scene overall. One of the early right, they're they're getting into the Borg space, and I do like the cute little scene where Balan is like, "Hey, the Borg found our probe. I've got the video. Want to see what happens? Uh, subscribe to my only Borgs." <laughs> The other, the other oh, scene I like gross, I love that has you know concerned Tom Paris face is when all the cubes are just rushing at him, and Harry Kim's like, "There's three, no, there's four, no, there's five, five cubes, ah ah ah, six cubes," and he's counting, <laughs> he's counting his cubes. I like that scene just because of like fifteen cubes are showing up. It's ten minutes into this episode, they're everyone screwed, and they just blast past them. And one cube's like, "Hey, what's going on?" Don't care, gotta run. It's I love that scene, and it's so fun to like. I I just think it's a really well you know acted scene with everybody on the bridge. They're just like, oh no, they're running from something. We should be worried. Yep, we're running to something. Yeah, no, I agree because one of the things you said it earlier, but in Voyager, what I got really excited about from the pitch was what you said. We're gonna see the board, and we're not just gonna see some board or like one cube. We're gonna see the board. Right. This is gonna be awesome. And then we finally get there, all these ships fly past, and nobody in that entire ship goes, so maybe we just make a run for it. Right? <laughs> Now's our chance. Yeah, let's go. No, they're like, okay, well, let's start scanning for the Northwest Passage, Ugh. which is a stupid idea. But they don't yep. just, right, gun it, go. Yeah, no, if, if you see the Borg running, like, you should probably run, too. And, you know, Tom Paris just, he, he wants to get back home to, you know, reconcile with his father as soon as he possibly can. So, <laughs> damn the hole and full speed ahead. Yeah, don't leave Tom Paris in charge of anything. Uh, so, they look through the Borg wreckage and, oh, there's some Borg ships and there's some weird not Borg ships. And then, oh no, Harry Kim gets a virus. And poor Harry Kim, he gets to sit in the makeup chair. Well, yeah, because they were like, oh, big piles of Borg bodies, this is bad. Ah, bug people! Let's go, yeah, no. Let's go check out the tower of dead Borg corpses that Cass has right? seen in her mind. Like, all of the yep. decisions that have led to this are so bad, because it's like, Cass is hallucinating <laughs> about mountains of Borg corpses. Okay, we should be worried about that. And then they're like, oh, look, a bunch of blown up Borg ships. Let's beam over and see if there are any mountains of Borg corpses. There are. Uh, but and And it's, poor Harry Kim pays the, pays the price. Uh, yeah. Harry Kim always pays the price. And it's, you know, it's the season finale. So it's it's got to be a higher price than normal. Yeah, we had to blow the rest of the makeup budget on this episode. We're not getting it back. Yeah, it's around the time when they were like, ah, should we get rid of this dude? Does he do stuff? Now, if you don't use... <laughs> I like Harry If you don't Kim. use your whole like makeup Harry budget Kim in too. a season, they won't give you more next season. So you have to make no, sure... No, but they, they, had, they, had considered, uh, they had considered getting rid of uh, Harry Kim as a character. Like, this was around the time, for real. They were going to, like, either... It ended up being Kess, ultimately, that they, they cut from the roster. Mm -hmm. Well, and, like, I, I think this was one of the off-ramps they considered for Harry Kim. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. So one of the things that I always kind of disliked about Voyager, and this is kind of a modern TV thing, right. is that they start with these characters 
and then a couple die in like the first episode. Mm-hmm. And right. then we kind of lose one or two here and there, but we don't lose any of the main characters really. Like Neelix yeah. eventually, I think leaves. Kess leaves, but nobody just straight up gets killed on anything. And we're going to talk about that a little bit next next week as well mm-hmm. with uh, Year of Hell. Yes, which isn't really that bad. Now. Which should have been the season of hell. It's, oh, yes, should have been. Right. The it, we'll talk about that next week. Gotta save, we'll, we'll gotta save that rage. But yeah, the yeah. and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't plugged into Star Trek rumors at the time of, you know, uh, my watching of this. But it it just kind of felt like something. You know, Harry Kim gets you know species eight four seven two'd, um, and. You know, the resolution of that is kind of like, well, uh, the doctor injected it with some stuff uh, and we're all good. It's all good now here. Now, thank you. How are you? And you never really get any kind of... <laughs> I like the scene where he's in pain and the, the single tear, like, well played. Oh, yeah, like, that like that. But, you know, there's no, like, like anything with Voyager. It's like, oh, that th- this thing happened and everyone's in danger. How are we going to resolve it? I don't know. Reset button? Reset button. <laughs> Right. Well, the EMH. Yes. The that's, doctor. How, that's how we solve things in Voyager, the EMH. It's ridiculous to me that he can solve Harry Kim's species 8472 virus using Borg technology, but the Borg are just totally like, I don't know. We don't know anything about these people. They're a goddamn mystery to us. <laughs> yeah, so. it is really weird, especially like when you get to like the whole like crux of it all of, you know, Janeway negotiating to be like, hey, we have to work together. We have to work with the Borg, right? And their, like, big bargaining chip is, like, we figured out how to, like, jailbreak your technology to do something else. <laughs> right. And, like, if if, well, if you were to, like, go to Apple and be like, you know, we've hacked your watches to do better watch things... And meanwhile, it's gonna, you know, like, track COVID for you or whatever. Like, it, it you would get laughed at, you know? Like, it's it's a very weird, like, I, I disagree with the board completely in this. It's like, oh, I'm just gonna, like, assimilate you. Like, done. We win the war against, you know, 8472. Done. But, but Ryan, but Ryan, they had the EMH lock all of those files in his program. And he was going to delete himself. And the Borg are such terrible computer scientists for some reason <laughs> that they can't possibly recover that data. Like, like this is what irritates me so much with the Borg. They're really cool. I really love them. But their entire process of like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna assimilate things into our culture to get their knowledge, to get their skills, to get their technology. How come you can never fucking use it? Are you really telling me that the entire history of the Borg, which is thousands of years old, you guys never assimilated a biogenics expert or an alien xenobiologist? Not one? Well, you, yeah. you see that the Borg have forgotten how to do the scientific method, which I'm sure they've never assimilated any species that, you know, reasoned with, like, logic or experimentation uh, ever. They've, they've never done that. Uh, Borg seven and nine can walk around with her data pad and you know and pretend to be a human, but uh, certainly can't like experiment or anything. So it is this odd. You get this. You get the way they're trying to place it, like the Borg assimilate and conquer, and and that's how they learn. Whereas humans, you know, investigate and collaborate, and that's how they learn. So you get the positioning of it. 
But at the same time, it's just like, wow, the board sure could assimilate a like ninth grade science textbook. That might help them out. The, the board don't <laughs> have time useful. for IRBs. <laughs> they just do things. <laughs> They're busy picking fights they can't win. <laughs> by by the way, by teleporting to a different galaxy. So that we're clear on how the Borg managed to pick this particular fight, it's by creating a singularity, which doesn't mean two points. It's right in the word. Singularity. <laughs> and then using that to go to a different goddamn galaxy in an instant. Yeah, it's very, very, like, I don't know. It, like, reads to me, you know, from the Borg perspective as, like, you know, we have conquered all of Europe. You guys... You guys want to try and conquer Asia? You want to try that? And like, well, it's, it's more like no, Mars you at this point. You don't conquer Asia. Like, it just doesn't freaking happen. It's okay. So first of all, I need a t-shirt. A t-shirt that says the Borg don't have IRB. That needs to be our our, our merch right here. But that, that's kind of exactly it, right? It's like okay, the hive mind has decided that we're gonna go invade <laughs> fluidic space because why not? Um, oh, the hive mind has decided that we're getting our ass kicked. Better, uh, I don't know, run away, I guess. Uh, although, to be fair, Species 8472, right? There's a lot of consternation in this episode where Janeway's like, we're going to make a weapon, but we're not going to give you a weapon. And it's like, we're going to make, we're going to give you a weapon, but it's not going to be a weapon of mass destruction. And it's like, we're going to give you a weapon of mass destruction, but... <laughs> uh, but you're uh, we're gonna steal a drone you know that kind of thing meanwhile species a472 is out here and like hey you want to go blow up that planet yep and they just start blasting planets <laughs> so we're working we're definitely working on a different scale of kind of conflict which you know and, and you know maybe the fact that the borg i guess you could from one perspective you could understand that these borg they can't capture species 8472. They can't assimilate it. They get blasted into tiny little bits every time one of those wasp ships appeared. Maybe you can kind of understand how they're not doing too well, very much out of their element. It's not, you know, the Federation where they can just scream at and cut a piece of their ship off yeah. and, and, and zip away with. Well, it kind of reminds me of, like, the high school, like, the football star. Who, like, everything's going their way. They're assimilating all the babes. You know, they're they're conquering <laughs> on the football field. They're doing I mean, they great in life. And then they graduate high school and they have, like, no skills. They're getting their ass kicked, you know? Welcome to the real world, Borg. Get a job. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, like, it is sort of insulting also that humanity's big ploy to make the Borg ally with us is like, okay, let's take stock of our skills. What are we good at? What can we invent? Weapons. We can make weapons real good. <laughs> really? In Star Trek, you motherfuckers couldn't come up with anything else other than big bombs? Humans can do more than that. At least I hope so. Well, they could do better than that. Not necessarily more, but they could do better <laughs> than that. But, like... I don't know. It's such a conflicting, like, and this is, this is just fiction in general. If you want to make like an alien race, so menacing at a certain point, they cannot be reasoned with. So like, unfortunately, like because of the way fiction works, you resort immediately to violence, you know, like, cause oh, that, yeah. that is, you know, spoilers with seven of nine, 
that is her entire deal is like her family was trying to reason with the Borg, to understand the Borg, to communicate with the Borg, to study the Borg. And like, they didn't like freaking care. The Borg were just like, oh, new meat puppets, you know? Right. They crossed some line and the Borg were like, hey, uh, we're going to simulate you now. Cool. Awesome. Good, <laughs> good times. Michael? I mean, <laughs> I'm, if you if you throw to me right now, I'm just going to talk about how hot seven and nine is. <laughs> but can we do that really quick? She shows up and, and like pretty close to this scene, and it is just absolutely ridiculous. As soon as she shows up, she's like, "I'm the adjunct. I'm going to speak for the Borg." And it's just like, "God damn, the Borg had this thing hiding in the back of the ship. Why didn't they put that out there? Humanity would have surrendered real fast if seven of nine was in charge instead of <laughs> Look, so just put it that way." <laughs> I think it's really interesting, specifically with, like, Seven's first introduction, is, like, A, like, let's, you know, cut through all the trees here. Like, Jerry Ryan in the 90s was a smoke show. I'm sorry, she Jerry was... Ryan in 2021, the year of our Lord, is a smoke Jerry show. Ryan that is remains also gorgeous. Jerry Ryan gorgeous. Like, Jerry Spider Ryan remains okay. just an incredible person. Uh, so, and it was really interesting to see this beginning of Seven of Nine after thoroughly enjoying Jerry Ryan's performance as Seven of Nine in Picard and like going all the way back. You, there's not a lot of characters, you know, outside of Picard, really, that we've gotten to see this full stretch and range of time. So it was really cool to see the, the tertiary adjunct of Unimatrix Zero One pop up. Well, Shiri adjunct. <laughs> I, just, I want to take a moment. I have to. I have to do this really fast. I'm going to make a lot of comments and jokes about how hot Jerry Ryan is in Seven of Nine, but she is such a phenomenally good actress in this show. She carries the entire rest of the show. Steals scenes from Kate Mulgrew, who is at her best in this show. I don't want to make it sound like she's only like a pretty lady. She's not. She's not just hot. She's actually phenomenal. And her um, rendition of 709 is breathtaking. Yeah. No, she's she's very, very I, good. I think it's very interesting that, you know, 709 was pretty explicitly actually brought onto the show to be a super hot smoke show, you know, and be this, you know, body in a bodysuit. Yeah, it's great. But the thing is, is that Jerry Ryan is so fucking talented is that she was able to take what started as some pretty stupid material and really make it into a character that everyone cared about and wanted to see grow and learn and be more than what she started as and saw this potential in seven that I think she was able to fully realize, like Forrest said in a way that a lot of characters, you don't get to see them through that far, but you get to see who she becomes. And I think, you know, having the hindsight to know that makes, you know, watching her performance here just all the more special. Yeah. It, and I think, you know, especially like Forrest, you nailed it, like seeing Jerry Ryan's performance in Picard and then coming back to this when it was basically like, hey, you're robot TNA. Like, that's exactly what she was. You have and... to wear spandex for health reasons. <laughs> right. Like, it's 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 pretty, you know, um, a low bar to clear. It's it's pretty, you know, dastardly writing. Um, you know, that's, that's the name of the game in entertainment sometimes, and that fucking sucks. But I, you know, like Caitlin said, she was able to like take it and make seven her own character that is now beloved by millions. So like props to her, 
What I think is really interesting specifically about this first appearance of Seven is how much they style her from like a makeup and a prosthetic perspective like the Borg Queen Mm -hmm. from First Contact. Mm Yeah, she does stand out. Her makeup and everything is very different from the other drones. But I also want to point out here that Jerry Ryan as Seven of Nine kind of playing this, oh, we're going to put a pretty lady on screen. This is really good foreshadowing for eventually we're going to talk about Enterprise. Jolene Blalock does the same thing. She takes a role that maybe isn't that deep and just puts energy into it. She's so amazing, so good. Star Trek ends up having a really good kind of tradition of Maybe not the best intentions with a lot of these female characters, but the actresses just nail it every time. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, I think, is something that Star Trek has given a lot of leeway with. You know, specifically speaking to today's standards of television, because today's standards of television, you're on the air for two, maybe three seasons, and then you're done. You know, Voyager ran for seven seasons. Of course, you know, Jerry Ryan doesn't show up until you know, end of season season three, start of season four, but she is still given the opportunity to grow seven. Whereas, you know, shows these days, if you're not pulling numbers, you're canceled after, you know, 13 episodes. A lot of the streaming services have come out and said, basically after season two of one of their original shows on something like a Netflix, it's really not profitable anymore. They make a lot more of their money by people getting new subscriptions for the new thing that they're putting out. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, a show like Voyager today would not last seven seasons. There's no question. Right, right. So that's just, you know, some more food for thought as far as um, Jerry Ryan being oh so pretty and oh so capable as Seven of Nine. So yeah, let's let's go back to Species 8675309. Hey! Um... I don't know the number designation. Numbers are silly and goofy. Um, but, like, on the flip side of that, I also really appreciate the fact that they didn't call it, like, Species X. Like, yeah, something <laughs> aggressively 90s. Right. It seems, though, that the Borg would have invented variables by now. They could have given them a variable. Dude. Yeah. They're not stuck on integers anymore, okay? Yeah. Also, have the Borg only run into 8,471 species up until now? <laughs> right. They go up... Right, because they've been at it for years. They go up to five digits at some point, so... The Borg are definitely, you know, cataloging very well. My favorite Borg designation number is when Seven takes a pot shot at the Kazon at one point. And they're like, oh yeah, Species 214. They, they were worthless. Uh, we, did, we, <laughs> we did not add their distinctiveness to our own. And it's like, wow, rejected by the Borg. So, But it is, it is fun. <laughs> it's this weird not humanoid completely cg creature it doesn't you know it's not just someone in prosthetics so it's fun that it has a you know not a name name but a designation that's kind of neat i will say and this is just because i'm thorough um they do eventually get a name is it in star trek online in star trek online um they are called the undyne u-n-d-i-n-e um, okay. so like they eventually do get a name, which I think is like really cool and just something that like you can only really do with the Star Trek, you know, because you can't do this with like a show that was canceled after two seasons. Like this is a living universe that is still evolving and growing. So, you know, you get people who eventually 
get to put their creative touch on things. And they go back and like, hey, you remember that episode that was called Scorpion and Chakotay messed up a parable and there were like these weird <laughs> CG things and um, let's give those a name. Like, because it's like fluid and ever evolving, like all of this can change. They exist in fluidic space, which I hear is quite moist. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I really enjoy how they look like the monsters from the Tom Cruise War of the Worlds. Mm. Oh, cool. I've yeah. never seen that one. Go on. They, and they... Well, they just, they kind of have these long limbs and they kind of craggle along and I don't know, they, and it's just, I think it's that shoddy CG look <laughs> from the era <laughs> right? where it's like, oh yeah, this would be the TV version of those things. Yeah. Yeah. It, it would be, I think these things would be like absolutely horrifying to see in like modern CG, mm-hmm. you know, um, they're, they're kind of like video game, mm-hmm. like baddies like you know um they look like, like the dead space units. aliens yeah like a lot like that yeah but they i mean they're cool they live in fluidic space which is like this weird other galaxy kind of maybe i don't know like at, at one point at the end when voyager ends up in the fluidic space they try to like use scanners and they're like oh like this is matter like they're 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 almost like swimming in it. They're not flying in it. Like it's very very weird. That's fluid. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I don't know. I think the execution of it is just kind of uh, muddled. A little bit wet, so, to say the least. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it's very muddy. Yeah, very um, slippery. So I actually. I think fluid space is just a really cool concept. It is. And I think that because it does this thing where when they get there, Seven of Nine tells them, hey, by the way, you've sent out a ripple Mm -hmm. and they're coming. Mm -hmm. And what I like about this is it kind of reinforces that sort of insectoid aesthetic to species 8472. And it also gives us a sense that their technology, they don't have these big sensors. They don't have satellite sweepers. So they've made do with what they have. And what they have is this bio-substance. Mm-hmm. Right. And they've sort of filled their galaxy with it. Uh, so they are, in some sense, like the Borg. Mm-hmm. That's, that's it. That's my whole That's my whole thing. Oh, okay. No, yeah. It's, no, it's, that's, it, like, that's a good thought. It's totally neat because... Right, and again, we might question why the fluid doesn't fall out when you enter space, but we'll we'll uh, we'll leave the trans-dimensional rifts for another time. But it's such a cool. It's like the aether, like the old idea that space was filled with some medium that yeah. transmitted. Right, oh, it's yeah, very yeah. much like that, and it was fun to see as a you know as a as a plot point and as a plot device, but also at the same time. The, the, you know, the wasp ships zipping through the fluid. It's just, it was really good, you know, CG. You can tell that the the Voyager graphics and kind of special effects folks really started to build up a lot of confidence with this. Because it, it looks, yes, it looks 90s, but I still think it looks good. It looks pretty nice in the little square on the TV. Yeah. So now I'm going to tell you guys why I hate it. Oh, no. <laughs> it's really, really dumb, too, because... If this is all matter, if this is fluid space, that means that this is basically an ocean the size of a galaxy, and Voyager is crushed immediately. Instantaneously. They can't survive the type of pressure that this is going to put out. 
Also, if all of the ships from <laughs> Species 8472 are swimming through fluid space for the last who knows how long, don't you think that as soon as we transfer them into actual space, they won't be able to propel themselves? You can't exactly swim through space. <laughs> Fucking stupid. <laughs> hey, Michael. Yeah, what's up? You're a nerd. <laughs> I love it. I mean, this is just obvious. No, like, no, no. Writers, I, I love like it. It's, it's great. Like, this is why, you know, we, we have you on and we have other people on because, like, we love when people with passion talk about things they love. And even if it's something stupid that they don't like, like, you but also love. love. Right, right. Yeah. So that's the thing. Is like I both love the concept of, of fluid space in Species 472, and I hate it. But I actually think that Scorpion is a really good episode. I know I've just been shitting on it for the last half hour or whatever. <laughs> I love this episode. It's I think it's fun. so good. Yeah. Yeah, it's just really, really cool. I think um, one thing I definitely want to bring up, uh, Caitlin and I were talking about it the other day, because uh, we watched this episode a few days ago um, to prep was that this episode, this pair of episodes, kind of, in a weird way, mirrors Best of Both Worlds. Mm. You know, like, it, it hits a lot of the same beats. You know, you get Janeway going over to the Borg ship. You get, you know, this big, massive battle, but instead of the Borg, you know, going through Wolf 359 and, like, wiping out, all of the Federation, you have something wiping out the Borg. Like, it's it's got a lot of, almost like rhyming action between that pair of episodes, and that was just something that like I had, like, honed in on upon like, watching Star Trek in this order. That, like, you get this, like, weird, almost call and response, but, like, I don't think it hits the same highs as, you know, Riker going, fire to be continued. You know, like, it, it doesn't hit that quite you know i feel like at times it just reminds you yeah of like things like best of both worlds where it's like oh this was the the tension was ratcheted up way higher way faster i mean and like we talked about you know they don't really get rid of many of the main characters on voyager because it's not like you can replace them with someone else you know mm-hmm. from from earth to come hang out it, it, there's even the scene, you know, she, where, when Janeway is going through all of her, you know, going to talk to Da Vinci. She's going to try and, you know, sleep. She can't sleep. She's reading all these logs from other captains who've encountered the Borg and trying to essentially, like, consult with people that she can't really reach or touch because of how isolated they are. And, yeah, I think that the limitations of that, I think the it, it just kind of the story kind of steps on itself in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the idea that she keeps wanting to reach out to get someone's advice because ultimately she's having to make these decisions unilaterally. There's not a Federation to step back on. You know, we, we kind of come back to this a lot with our, our analysis of Voyager, but when it's something like the Borg that has been such a massive threat to the Federation over and over again, she doesn't get the luxury of strategizing with, you know, a room full of admirals. And you see her trying to reconcile with that. And I just, I don't know that the episode punches it home the way that I, I felt like I wanted it to. Right. Mm-hmm. She does do a really good Patrick Stewart impression, though. It's pretty good. That, like, Jacote even, like, comments on before Jacote yeah. like, tells, like, this weird story about, like, the scorpion and the fox and, like... I don't know, like... It's fine. It's it's fine. 
I get that's like the theme and that's where they're like getting the name of the episode from, but like there's there's gotta be a better delivery method from that instead of just Jacote coming into the ready room and just spilling it, you know? So I wanna circle back around to that, but first I wanna just mention something I wanna bring it back up because I think it's really important. Janeway has now had two goddamn years to listen to all of these captain's logs. <laughs> Knowing that they're How come she's doing it? the Borg, yeah. Yeah, why is she cramming after she's seen, like, she's even seen their ships because of all the stuff with, like, the Borg planet and stuff. She knows this is here. Yeah. Like, she's like a college student cramming at the last second for the final. You know it's coming. I mean, they're going to have to deal with it eventually. Like, it's an eventuality at that point. Yeah, maybe she's just scared. Maybe that's what so this. I'd be fucking There's terrified. probably a little bit of, like, right. uh, you know, putting the blinders on. You know, a little bit of, hell, well, I won't look at the Borg folder because I don't want to jinx it. Uh, but also, at the same time, I feel like Janeway is such a scientific mind that probably when she got the captaincy, she was like, all right, I'm going to look at this classified file and this classified file. And we know she's a big science <laughs> nerd, like when the Omega particle shows up and she just locks everybody down and she's like, I'm going to be go read some journals in my ready room and nobody better come bother me. So I, I feel like it's like right. her, I feel like... It's exactly what, you know, we were saying before. She's trying to reach out to find someone, to find something to connect to. And across both of these episodes, Janeway is, and, you know, it's such a wonderful performance uh, by Kate Mulgrew of this, trying to find someone to talk to, someone to reason through, someone to help with her decision. And whether it's Picard's logs or Da Vinci or I love the realization she makes when she's talking with Da Vinci the second time. And he's like, hey, let's go pray. God will help us out. And Janeway's like, nope, but the devil will. Like, that's awesome. <laughs> that is such a great scene Very because good. she's making these realizations. So the logs, you know, Chakotay, in the second part, you know, she they kind of play on that conflict and, and turn it into you know, turn it into the success at the end. It's such a great, it's not played, I don't think it's played vulnerable, but it's such a great, like, she's searching. She's like, I need to find help. And I, it's just such a, it, there are all these, it's very, lots of nice little touches uh, throughout in trying to find that help. Uh, in the second part, maybe she starts to rely on Tuvok, you know, relies on the, the power she has over the Borg over Seven of Nine as well. Yeah. So this is why I love doing podcasts and I love having these conversations when Forrest is around because he just says so much super fucking smart shit. <laughs> Fantastic. Glad to hear. So yeah. Can we talk about the parable of the scorpion now? Yeah, let's let's, let's talk it. about, you know, the parable of scorpion that like you've heard a million different renditions of. You know, it's it's the lion and the mouse, it's, you know, the scorpion. The one I, I grew up with, with the scorpion specifically, was the scorpion and the toad trying to cross the river. Chakotay likes foxes, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> hey, you are denigrating his culture, right? This is a cultural thing for him, right? He is generic Native American. Yes. Yeah, He's generic Native American. Undefined And culture. they always did foxes. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, no, the parable's, like, really, like, flat. And I... It, yeah. Like, the story's there, but, like, it's so obviously planted as, like, 
this is the way this is all gonna play out. That, like, they're they're calling their shot, and it seems like the only reason he would tell the story the way he tells it is because the story ends the way it does, which the characters should not be aware of. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of silly, but, like, I mean, the story itself is fine. Like, it's fine, but, yeah. It's, it's just kind of goofy. Uh, you, you had said earlier, at some point it becomes the boy who cries wolf. Right. Yeah. Right? Like, how did you, how did you get to that? I forgot. I, this was off mic, uh, like, two days ago. I don't remember how it came up. But just the idea, you know, Chakotay tells a lot of these stories where, you know, they tend to play out some point later in the episode. And it's like, well, right. okay, like... Maybe cool the writers story. don't know how to utilize that correctly. Chakotay's just a little bit magic, that's all. <laughs> yeah, right. <clears throat> I do think it is, like, really cool, though, like, at the end... When they leave fluid When she space. says Chakotay, Scorpion, you're like, oh, it's going down! <laughs> right. Like, like, it's a cool moment. Let me be clear. Like, all the goofiness of, like, how they have to, like, forcibly set that up in the first half. Like, fine, whatever. She makes things splody. It's pretty great. I love it. I love it every time. Yeah. And it's, it's a cool moment, because, like... Michael, you brought this up in our Discord before we started recording. Who is the Scorpion? You know, obviously, like, yeah. it's it's Janeway and Chakotay and their plan to, like, sever Seven from the Collective at the very end. But, like, I think that's part of the guessing game of this episode, is Chakotay tells the parable at the beginning. And then the entire time, you're like, who's the fox, who's the Scorpion, you know? So, yeah, what I what I really love about this, and actually I think that this is where the episode really comes together. I think this is just really good writing, because everybody is both. Mm-hmm. Right. Everybody's the fox, everybody's the, the scorpion, and the entire point here, at least I think, right, I don't know, but I think, the entire point is just that sometimes when we're trying to work with other people, and this is what Star Trek is ultimately all about for me, is the capacity for cooperation. How do we work with other people to accomplish great things? Sometimes our natures prevent us from doing this in a satisfactory way. Sometimes we have to make a deal with the devil in order to get something out of it, but our natures are so at odds that we can't possibly actually get across the river with each other. Now, for this, Voyager is literally the scorpion trying to get across the river. Yeah. Right. They are literally trying to get through this, and we even put them in fluid space. So, again, I like fluid space because it ties back to this concept and this story that the episode gives us. But the Borg are also the fox because Voyager, no matter what Captain Janeway is trying to insist, they're never going to stick up to their end of the deal in a completely, in a way that's totally fair to the Borg. Right. Our nature won't let us do that because we're too suspicious of them. And and you see it multiple times throughout the episode. You know, we mentioned earlier when, you know, Tuvok and Janeway are trying to communicate to the Borg through verbal uh, means. And the Borg are just like, no, nah, that's stupid. Like, we're going to give you a little neck thing. Like, it's stupid. Janeway has to constantly, you know, like, reassess that, like, no... This is not how it's going to be. And, like, it's really, really weird to kind of see the board flipped that way. 
But I think it, like, ultimately works. And I think that's what makes it great. I think you nailed it on the head with, like, the Borg or the Fox, you know? Not to be too literal and heavy-handed with it. Well, I mean, it's just that they're also, right, like, they were never going to hold up their side mm. either. The important thing was to realize this and then play off it. Yeah. Um, so when you're the fox and you're trying to, and you're kind of making a deal with the scorpion, the important thing is to realize what the scorpion is and make your move first. Mm-hmm. Tit for tat. Yeah. And, and that's the, that's the constant battle in this. And that's what makes the tension so fun to resolve in the second part or is how, who's going to make that betrayal step first to come out on top and, Everyone makes the choice they have to make throughout the end, but Janeway's more prepared for the inevitable Borg betrayal at the end of the day than Seven of Nine is. Then, and maybe that's, you know, humanity over one drone versus humanity over the collective. But everyone's, everyone knows the end game. The end game is not that you get through Borg space and you hand off the data and you shake hands. And you're like, thanks, Borg. Have fun with your genocide, right? That's not the, that's not the end game here. It's who's going to snap first, who's going to betray who first. And it's fun to watch it, you know, step up. It's like, because uh, thinking about the second part, thinking about all these different pieces, it's like, Borg have Voyager in the tractor beam. They start working together. When Species 8472 shows up, I love the Borg ship sacrifice, like the, well, we're just going to ram you, sorry. Yeah. Uh, and then, but we beamed, right. <laughs> we've beamed over to your cargo bay. So it's like, okay, now Voyager's in a position of power. But then the Borg are like, we know how to mess with your deflector beam. And I just love the Borg poking at the Jeffries tube. It's like, hey, open, <laughs> open. And now you're in fluidic space. And now the, <laughs> now the Borg are in control. And okay, well, we better launch these torpedoes. And they get out and, you know, uh, Janeway's back. And so it's this back and forth of all these, you know, very much a, a fun chess game of who's going who's gonna to anticipate the move Right? Because everyone's kind of playing along. It's like, oh, you blow up your ship. Cool, hang out in the cargo bay. Oh, you took us into fluidic space. Fine, we'll blow up some stuff, I guess. Oh, you know, the Armada's coming for us. Better hit them with the big, the big boomer. Okay, this is all fine, right? Everyone's playing along until game's over. And, you know, the scorpion comes out on top in the end. Yeah, so what I really like about that, too, is Seven of Nine repeatedly says to Chakotay, hey, you guys are too fractured. You're too apart. You have no unity and no harmony. You can't possibly come out ahead in this. But ultimately, which side do you think is going to be able to anticipate duplicity better? The one that's a unified monolith or the one that has different voices and different perspectives? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And who wins? Well, and I think ultimately that's that's the the thesis of, of the Borg and in itself you know is the borg don't care about the individual and that's something you know that is very obvious and very heavy-handed anytime the borg show up it's always like oh our individuality our capacity to have unique applications of problem solving based on each person like that's that's the meat and potatoes of the borg whenever you get a borg episode and i think you know with seven of nine i feel like it kind of is almost tradition in Star Trek to a point, you know, like in the original series, the Klingons are the bad guys. So in the next generation, you have Worf, you have a Klingon on the bridge. 
And then you get some dealings with the Ferengi, and they're kind of like, oh, maybe they're the good guys, maybe they're the bad guys. The Bajorans show up, the Cardassians show up. All of those are key players in Deep Space Nine. And then, you know, you have the Borg, and how do you humanize the Borg? Well, you have to give them a surrogate. You have to give them a character. You have to have Seven of Nine. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the Borg are always just going to be a big faceless their robots oh no run so you have to you have to have something to to grasp on and i think introducing seven a this late into voyager and b at the same time this early in voyager gives us a good baseline and path for seven to grow as well which leads me to the point i've said repeatedly everybody's the scorpion that doesn't hold true for Seven of Nine. Seven of Nine is just the fox. Whoa. Uh, yeah. Nailed it. <clears throat> do, do, uh, okay, so yes, she is a fox. 100%. She Still is that, That's the whole thing. She's fucking hot. That's, that's the whole thing. <laughs> okay, but, but yeah, no. You know, back to the parable, back to the metaphor, back to the theming. Like, she literally is... The fox in everything. You know, she is the surrogate for the Borg. She's being used by the Federation. Like, she is just there to to cart everybody around through fluidic space. Yeah, so even not fluidic space, she's literally the one helping Voyager get across Borg territory. She literally, and then she becomes the one who's questioning human nature, the nature of the Scorpion throughout the rest of the show. I'm, I'm making a silly joke here, but you're absolutely right. In a very real sense, Seven of Nine is actually the fox. She's actually the one whose real nature maybe is a little bit more altruistic towards others, mm. and she has to be. She has to be kind of shown a little bit. I don't know. Yeah. Or maybe she is the scorpion because they have to carry her. I don't know. It's it's loaded, and that's she's what not. We love. She's not the scorpion because she's the fox. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I don't want to be assimilated, but let me tell you, if Seven of Nine is doing the assimilations, sign me up. (laughs) (laughs) I think we've all been there, and I think that'll close us out. Caitlin, before we go, do you have any closing thoughts on Scorpion? Janeway's a Stone Cold G, and she continues to be so in the presence of the Borg. It only gets more Stone Cold G-ness from here. (laughs) That's very true. I appreciate that about her. Yes. Janeway is the greatest because she take no shit from nobody mm-hmm. and we love that in a captain she that's where you really see the 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 nascence of the her fuck around and find out mentality with the borg yeah yeah if there's anything janeway hates it's the fucking borg so <laughs> yeah we'll see more of that for sure michael do you have any closing thoughts i just want to reiterate that i think jerry ryan does an absolutely fantastic job in this show in a lot of ways, I think Voyager doesn't even really start until she shows up. Um, and I'm not trying to belittle the rest of the cast. They all do an amazing job as well. It's just that season four sets itself apart so much from the first seasons. And she's the clear difference. She's the clear thing we can point to to say, oh, well, this changed. Is that why Voyager is suddenly like the best Star Trek around? I really liked this episode. I thought it had a lot of really good ideas. I thought it took a lot of risks that were really interesting, especially for the time. And the only thing I'll say is that a lot of the stuff they set up for the Borg 
kind of ruins the mystique in a way that I don't appreciate. Mm, yeah. We'll talk about that later when we get to Unimatrix Zero. I, I don't like that episode at all. We'll get there, though. Forrest, any closing thoughts? You know, one, once again, probably have uh, missed talking about Kess. Uh, so I'm going to give some uh, some Kess thoughts here. Uh, Kess thoughts. Uh, I really, <laughs> I like many things in the development of Kess as a character. There's there's so much good stuff that happens so late here. Like, the way that Kess is kind of used as this conduit for conversing with Species 8472, for being this communicating, communications presence, felt very Deanna Troy. Uh, and obviously the, the telepathy part makes that connection there. But I just thought that... There was this just nice kind of presence and purpose and kind of connection with Kess being part of this episode. And it's obviously when the second part rolls around, she's now been relegated to also starring. So uh, we know what's going to happen there. <laughs> so uh, I just want to, you know, give a little shout out to Kess. And uh, she's going to be zipping everybody away across the galaxy uh, here in the next episode. Uh, not never to be heard from again, but to be heard from once more time. Uh, but I just, I just think that like Kess works here. Like, and it's cool. It's nice to see that character kind of finally play a role. And it's, you know, if there's one thing... I was thinking about this as the episode was finishing up. Like, Voyager has such a strong core cast. Like, it feels like everybody is in every episode. Even if it's for just like a, hey, Tuvok, how you doing? Well, I'm doing Tuvok stuff. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Tuvok. <laughs> right? Every character is in every episode, even if it's just for something like that. And that's that's a really nice ensemble, and obviously Sevens adds uh, a great part of that ensemble. But I'm, I was imagining like how cool it would have been if you'd had a broader cast of more of the misfits of the Delta Quadrant that you didn't have to see everybody every episode. Like, you didn't have to check in with Tom and Harry or see what nonsense Chakotay was up to. Like, it would have been... I don't know, I just feel like... So positive about the, the way Kess was portrayed in this two-parter that I, I was like, wouldn't it have been interesting? But isn't that just the way Voyager goes? Wouldn't it have been nice if... If Harry Kim got a promotion. <laughs> no, Tuvok gets one, but Harry Kim doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really sad. I just realized that their names are literally Tom and Harry. Yeah. <laughs> there Wait, was just like no just dick, now, or was it just all dicks? I just, I just now realized it. <laughs> yeah, it just occurred to me that they are Tom and Harry. I'm sorry. That, oh man. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, stay tuned. Next week um, on Thursday, we will be discussing Year of Hell, one of the great two-parters we're very excited to do that um be sure to follow us on twitter and instagram at two star two trek we will be coming at you next thursday and as always to be continued